0: Well, is there, uh, there's no doubt that God is with us uh, this morning, and he's doing incredible, incredible stuff. On uh, July 2nd, 1863, during the second day of battle at the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, Private George Nixon of the Union Army was shot in the right hip, and, and he laid in what was called no man's land. Place where nobody went. And he laid there in agony. And as it started to get dark, uh, there was a young man who was a drummer in the Union Army. And, and that drummer, his name was Richard Elder, Elderlin. And Richard Elderlin, hearing George Nixon's agonizing cries for help, crawled on his stomach a hundred yards into no man's land and pulled George Nixon onto his back and then proceeded to crawl back on his stomach with a guy on his back towards the Union Army's line. The last 25 yards, when he could see safety for whatever reason, Elderling stood up, picked up Nixon, and started to run towards the line. And he was fatally shot. But Nixon crossed the line. And Jordan Nixon became the great-grandfather of Richard Nixon, our 37th president, who would have never been born had it not been for the sacrifice of Richard Elderling. On March 30th, 1981, Ronald Reagan was coming out of his room at the, walking out of the Washington Hilton when John Hinckley pulled out a gun and pointed it at the president and pulled the trigger. He pulled the trigger several times and Tim McCarthy, secret serviceman, threw his body In the line of fire and took a bullet that was meant for President Reagan. Now, McCarthy recovered from his wounds, but he obviously proved that he was willing to give his life if necessary to save the president. Just two years ago, this week, on February 14th, 2018, a young gunman walked into the campus of Parkland high school in Parkland, Florida. An assistant football coach named Aaron Feiss used his body as a shield to cover several students and he took a bullet that took his life. But in the process he saved several others. 2,000 years ago somebody stepped into the line of fire and took one for you. And that is what we are here to really think about this morning. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down their life for their friends. See, the the Bible, and actually all kinds of secular history, tell us, That Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross. The big question is why? Why? Why did Jesus have to die? And all kinds of people throughout history have had all kinds of answers, but the Bible gives us a very clear and direct answer as to why that happened. Last week we started a new series that we're calling Kingdom Come. Uh, and it's really based off of this prayer that Jesus had, where, where he prayed and he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, come. your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we live in a world where oftentimes we look, I mean, if you watched the news last week, did it look much like God's kingdom was here? When we say that, what we're saying is we're saying, God, we want what is happening up there to happen down here. We want that hallelujah to happen here. We want all the healing that's happening, you know, because there is no more sickness. There is no more crying. There there are no more destroyed relationships. We want that stuff to happen down here. And last week what we said was it's not just about getting to heaven someday, It's about realizing heaven on earth today and doing whatever we can to align our lives with what God is doing so that his kingdom will come. We we said that the kingdom, the kingdom is a place where the king's rule is established and where his values are reflected. Where, Where the king's rule is established is every place That a human heart opens up and says, come take residence here. And and his will and his values are established when we begin to live in a way that reflects what God wants to see happen here in this world. When, When we listen to the Holy Spirit that is living inside of us, and we act in ways that say, yes, we want to act as if we were in the kingdom now. We want to act the way that Jesus wants us to act. We want to live the way he wants us to live. See, one of the main issues in the kingdom of heaven is that it often stands in direct opposition of the kingdoms of this world. To the world, God's kingdom does not make sense. It's upside down and it's backwards. And that's what we said. We're gonna unpack this over several weeks. This upside down and backwards kingdom of God that, that the world does not understand, but God calls us into this place and to live this upside down, backward life out through the power of his Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. You and I, none of us have the power to live that life on our own. You can't just try a little harder to do these things. You have to have God's spirit working in your life, enabling you to do these things. You can't just do it on your own. I mean, in what other kingdom, in what kingdom of the world does a king come down off of his throne and allow himself to suffer and to die for the vilest of offenders. It was certainly not what people were expecting. The people of Jesus' time, even, even the religious people, even the Jewish people, they were expecting something else. They were expecting a military, a mighty, powerful king that was gonna come and, and that they, he were, they were gonna wipe the floor with the Roman oppressors. That they were gonna take care of all of that and establish this powerful, mighty kingdom with a great military might and economic gain for everybody, just like, you know, in the times of King David when they couldn't lose a battle and they were just, you know, they were ruling the world. They were on top of the world and everything was going great. That's what people were looking for. That's why everybody was shocked 2,000 years ago when the king came and he was hung on a Roman cross. See, the K in kingdom is for a king on a cross. The king on the cross. But why would these people have been shocked? You know, on, on this side of things, when we can sit here with a fully formed, you know, Bible, when we've got the word of God in our hands, it, it's hard sometimes. I think sometimes we're a little too hard on the people back then because, you know, we, we've, we've got the end of the story, But the people back then, they shouldn't have been shocked when this happened because God had been dropping hints all along. God has been kind of demonstrating this whole thing all along. He'd been telling people that this is what was going to happen all along. He's been saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. He'd been preparing them for centuries for Christ to come and to do what he did to give his life as a ransom for us. I want to give you the quick... um, Cliff Notes Bible run through, and we'll kind of identify a couple of those spots. You see, because after God created the world, okay, all the other stuff, he longed for relationship. God's great, incredible longing was to have a relationship with us, so he created people, people like us, people that he could Love, people who would return, reciprocate his love to him. And that's what God's great desire was to have this great relationship with us. But only three chapters in to the story of human history, something went tragically wrong and people like us disobeyed God. Uh, We call that sin. Okay? Just to make sure, because we don't talk about sin all the time, right? It, It gets a little uncomfortable, right? But how many sinners do we have in the room? Okay, keep your hands up. We do do this every once in a while. Keep your hands up and look around the room. You are not alone, sinner. (laughs) I'm praying constantly, Lord, forgive the sins of the one who speaks because there are many, right? But we've all sinned. And the Bible tells us that. So this relationship was broken. This relationship that God so desperately wanted to have with us, it's broken And so God begins immediately to go to work. Now, things got worse before they got better. In in fact, things got so bad that eventually God has to hit the reset button in the form of a flood. And and everybody except one righteous man and and his family are saved. And God thinks, okay, we're going to start over again. And he starts with Noah. And you're thinking, okay, you know, let's see. Was that a wise choice? Well, guess what? Things didn't actually move upward. (laughs) Things got bad again. Because the human heart now had this predisposition for sinfulness. And so rather than getting better, things got worse. They went downhill. God picks another man to start his plan of rescuing mankind with a guy named Abraham. And there's a lot we could say about Abraham, but, but God makes this incredible promise to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, if you will believe me, if you will trust me, I will, and then he has this list of things, I, I, I will make you a great nation, even though I didn't even have any kids yet. His wife couldn't have kids. God took care of that. That miracle happened. Okay? And, and so then he says, you know, your name is gonna be great. How many of you have ever heard of Abraham before? Here we sit, 4,000 years later, we all know who Abraham is. God came through on that promise, right? He says, man, I'm going to make your descendants like the sand of the seashore. He did that. And then he says, and through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Which is this picture of someone who would come that would bless not only his descendants, the the Jewish nation, the Israelites, but would bless the entire world. And over and over again throughout Scripture, there are these promises and prophecies pointing to the one who would come, the Messiah. Eventually, Abraham's descendants find themselves enslaved in Egypt, and God raises up a deliverer, all right, Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh like God told him to, he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, get out of here, right? He says, no, there's no way. So what does God do? God shows that he means business by sending these 10 plagues. And the last of the 10 plagues is the death of the firstborn, right? Right? But before that night, before the death angel comes, God says, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're to each house, you're going to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, one years old. And you're, you are going to kill that lamb, and you're, you're going to cook it, but you're going to take the blood. And, and, and you're going to take the blood, and, and you're going to put it on the doorposts of your homes. And when the angel comes and sees the blood, because you've done what I've told you to then the firstborn in your house will be spared. And, and that comes to be known as the Passover Lamb, which has this incredible foreshadowing of God passing over sinfulness, passing over where death might destroy. and God comes and because of the blood on the posts that there's life. And so Moses then, after that, you know, Pharaoh has had enough, says, get you and all these people out of here. So Moses leads the people out of slavery. They go through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, where now they receive ten commandments. Actually, there's like 300 in the whole, you know, the whole first five books of the Bible. And now he sets up in the Torah, the first five books of our Bible, he sets up this, this system where when you sin, when you break one of the commandments that what you do to pay for that is that you you make a sacrifice right that that you get that lamb on the, on the day of atonement it said that on the day of the atonement hundreds of thousands of these lambs would be sacrificed and and, and so and then the blood would get sprinkled on the altar for to t- to take those sins and to roll them back for a year I mean, there was a lot of sacrificing. You read through the Old Testament. If, if if some of you are you know are doing your reading through the Bible this year, right about now you're you're getting to the crazy part, like Leviticus, right? And you're going, I don't know if I can make it. Hang in there, okay. Because I know you're reading it and you're just going like, oh man, sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. What's this all about? You know, sacrifice, festival. And everyone's like, yeah, festival, right? And then it's like sacrifice, 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 festival. All these, all these things are happening, right? And, and, and the whole idea is this, is that the Old Testament was here. People are always having, like, what is all this sacrificing about? See, the Old Testament was given to us not just so that you would memorize the Ten Commandments when you were a kid and go, okay, I got that. I'm just going to not break the rules. Because the reality is, is the Old Testament showed us, if nothing else, it's you can't keep the rules. I mean, I, I meet people all the time, you know, that say, they say, oh, yeah, I, be- I believe in God. And I say, oh, yeah, well, what do you believe in? Well, I follow the Ten Commandments. The greatest thing is if anyone ever says it, you say, oh, yeah, what, what are those? They'll usually get the top three or four. And then they start to forget most of them. And let's be honest, all of us have broken them. See, Jesus comes on the scene and he kind of ramps them up a bit, doesn't he? But we, you know, originally, we couldn't keep one. We start out with one command that one tree over there, yeah, don't touch that. It's just like telling your kid. Right? That, that, don't touch that. It's like the minute you say it, it's like, oh, I have to touch that. <laughs> right? That, that, folks, that's us. Right? And we, and we do. Well, we couldn't keep the one. God ramps it up to 10. We couldn't handle that. Have you seen the California Penal Code? <laughs> All of y'all should be in jail. There's laws in there for everything, right? And all this demonstrated to us is that first of all, what's the sacrificial system all about? Here's what I believe it was about. It wasn't because God likes barbecue, all right? Although I think he does. He's got an amazing Traeger, right? Yeah. No, it's not because God likes barbecue. It's because sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Where there is sin... Something has to die. Jesus said so at the very beginning. He said, "If When you touch that tree, you, you will surely die, right? We questioned that. This, Satan helped us along the way. Satan questioned, put into the question of even says, Did God really say that? And she should have said, Yes, and slammed the door. But she paused. She paused and went, yeah, but man, does that look good. She said, yeah, and what, what did you just say about, like, I will become like God? Like, God didn't mention anything about that. And she entertained a conversation with the evil one. God told us from the very beginning, when sin happens, death is the penalty death is what comes because of that and the whole old testament and all those sacrifices that none of us like to read about and all of us go what in the world was that all about it is to drill into our heads that sin equals death sin equals death and what happened after sin they were absolutely separated from god Right? What's amazing is, see, I I would have thought this is, I would have thought that, you know, the moment that they took a bite that they would just fall over dead like it was poison, right? That didn't happen. They experienced a spiritual death and a separation. They were kicked out of the garden and, and God put an angel in front so they couldn't get back. And that's a whole nother thing. I mean, thank God, God saved us from getting back and living forever in the state we were in. He says, no. And he, he devised this plan, and he showed us over and over and over again two very important things. Number one, sin equals death. Sin equals separation from God. And the whole Old Testament shows us that. When the people of God started worshiping other idols and doing all kinds of craziness, what happened? They got exiled. Sin equals separation from God. Sin equals death. And so every time they had to sacrifice a lamb, every time they had to slit the throat of that animal and the blood spilled out all over the place, they realized sin causes death. Sin causes death. And sin causes a separation. So that's what the whole Old Testament was there for. In Galatians 3.24, it tells us, so the law was our guardian. In some translations, it says schoolteacher. Until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. The whole Old Testament is there to teach us that sin equals death. And that that death is a separation from our Heavenly Father. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 9 to verse 22, he says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. There's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Why? Why? Because when there's a sin, something has to die. So why did Jesus die? Because of sin. Not his, but ours. He he died because we sinned. Now that whole question even, because I, I, I wrote it all over the place this last couple of weeks, and I was just like, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die, right? Because I was thinking, I mean, he's God, right? Couldn't he just, like, get out the magic eraser and just go, like, nah, let's just, let's just you know, couldn't he have hit some other magical, godly reset button and come up with some other kind of thing, See, the reality is this, Jesus didn't have to die. He didn't. Bible tells us he chose to. In in John 10, 18, Jesus' own words, he says, no one takes my life from me. You know, all the people in life that thought, oh man, Jesus did something and then the Romans took his life. The Romans didn't take his life. The Romans were pawns in the hand of God, Right? Jesus gave up his life voluntarily. It says he laid it down of his own accord. So Jesus didn't have to do that. But you know what Jesus had to do? He had to do the will of the Father. Which was to lay down his life for the payment for our sins. Why? Because, as it tells us in Romans 3, uh, 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And that's what God had been telling us through the entire Old Testament. Sin equals death. Sin equals death. Sin equals separation from God. That's what happens. And the other thing that the Old Testament was telling us with all those commands and all those things that you had to do to try to somehow remedy the sin problem. The thing that the Old Testament kept telling us is this. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't follow the rules enough to actually make it happen. You can't do that. You can't save yourself. So what do you need? You need a Savior. When you read the Old Testament, and I know there's a lot of people that come in and they're like, I don't really like the Old Testament. I don't like that God. (laughs) Right? Because he looks mean and he looks like, why did he make all those little lambs die? And why did he tell the people to kill everybody? And why... Because sin causes death. And that's the message. And so if you read the Old Testament through this lens of God is using this whole entire thing to teach us that sin causes death and sin causes separation from God. And you and I, we can't keep even the single easiest of commandments that we are sinners. Every single one of us. If you read the Old Testament from that standpoint, then God really drives the point home. And then we turn the page and Jesus comes in. And so ultimately, why did Jesus have to die? It was because of our sin problem. But I want to spend a few minutes in a very, very important piece of scripture in Romans chapter three. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to Romans chapter 3 because this is a very crucial and pivotal piece of Scripture that we really need to fully understand. In Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 25, Okay, in in verse 23, you know, he he tells us that all of sin, okay, we all sin, we fall short of God's glory, right? Then down in verse 25, it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. There's that sacrifice idea that pops up again. Okay, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood right? Because why? There's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, right? To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, and we'll unpack this in just a moment, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, let's unpack that a little. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He was the one that came and was sacrificed to pay the price for our sinfulness. The perfect, unblemished, unsinful Lamb of God of his own accord lay down his life to pay the price that you and I could not pay. Jesus was the lamb. He was the sacrifice. So the whole Old Testament is leading us up to understanding what Jesus did on the cross. That he was the sacrifice to pay finally for sins. The perfect lamb for all the sins of the world. It says he was a sacrifice of atonement big $10 theological word atonement basically means payment. Okay. He made the payment for us. Okay. He atoned, right? If you go to somebody and you atone for your bad attitude, you say you're sorry, right? You make, you make it right. Right. So he made it right. Okay. Through this sacrifice and then it says, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now, that's a, that's a passage that you're, you're kind of like, what does that really mean? Well, it means all the sins that were committed up until the time that Christ died and paid for them, what, what happened to all that? Why didn't people just drop dead? Right? Because if sin equals death, why didn't they touch the apple and die? Right? Because in God's forbearance, in other words, in God's patient love for us, not wanting us to perish, said, okay, they sinned, they deserve death. I'm going to, and and this is the best way I could kind of think to, to describe this. He pulled out his God credit card, swiped it, and said, we're going to pay for that later. Right? and it accumulated all this debt, right, until Christ comes. He says, okay, so in his forbearance, he let the sins beforehand be unpunished because of his incredible, incredible love for people. And then it says, then, until Jesus came, right? So he, he says, so that at the present time, Okay? He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time, so as to be just. This is the kicker right here. God, at his very core, and remember the kingdom of God is where God's will and his values, where his character gets displayed. At the very core of God's character, he is a just God. And justice, justice demands payment for sinfulness. That is the side of God with justice demands payment. Justice can't break out a magic eraser and go, we're gonna pretend that all didn't happen. It's not how it works. God's justice demands that there's payment. And so because God is just, Payment had to happen. Well, what was the payment? Well, he just told us already, the payment was Jesus Christ was sacrificed. He was the sacrifice of atonement. He was the sacrifice of payment for our sins. And so Jesus had to be sacrificed and that proved God's justice was real. I mean, that is how serious God's justice is. He is so just that he couldn't let the sins go unpunished so much so that he had to send his one and only son. But the good news is, is that because you and I couldn't pay it, because we couldn't save ourselves, we couldn't be good enough, we couldn't make the payment on our own, God, he not only was just, he was the justifier. Which means that he is the one that made payment. He was the only one who could do that. While you and I were bankrupt because of sin, the God who loved us so much and our Savior who died on the cross to make atonement they step in yeah I mean and they literally said oh all that debt that you've racked up I mean how many of you have ever gotten to that point where you rack up a ton of debt that you can't pay off right and Jesus through his death says I'm gonna pay that in fact the last words that Jesus uttered on the cross When Jesus cries out, "It is finished," he uses an incredible Greek word called "tetelestai." And "tetelestai" was actually an accounting term that meant paid in full. With the last breath in his lungs coming out, what does Jesus cry out? Paid in full. And he took all the sin upon himself. And depending on how you read what happens in the Bible, he took all of that sin upon himself. And he took that, and he basically went and deposited all of that in hell. Just said, you can have that. <laughs> right? Because of his incredible righteousness, he, someone had to pay. Because of his love, his son paid the price for us. I mean, in what kind of kingdom of the world does that even remotely happen? In what kind of kingdom is that kind of love displayed? You see, that the end of that passage in Romans says entry into the kingdom of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, He tells us, He is the one who is just and the one who justifies. And he justifies those who have faith in Jesus because faith, salvation comes by faith alone, through Christ alone. That is it. And he did that because of his incredible love for us. And only in the amazing upside down and backward kingdom of God do we find a king who will hang on a cross and give his life to pay the price for sinners like us. Isaiah 53, four through six says this. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we... Are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned from our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now, what was that word that Devin taught you today? Somebody better give a hallelujah for that. Because if there was ever a reason to give praise, to the king of kings we just read it so here's the question for us this morning in this backward kingdom of God see because he <laughs> the kicker is he invites you to take up your cross and we're going to unpack that over the next you know few weeks as we dive more into this kingdom but how are you going to respond this morning to his incredible sacrifice how are you going to respond to his justice and his justification for your sins? How will you respond to his sacrifice? See, people responded all kinds of different ways when Jesus died, okay? What did his disciples do? They ran. And there are some of you this morning that are tempted when you hear about the sacrifice that Jesus made. There are some of you this morning that are te- will be tempted to run away from that, okay? Okay? The devil will work overtime in this moment right here to convince some of you, get away from that, right? And some people ran. Some people wept. And man, I got to tell you, I, I, I get that. I get that because sin causes death and we live in a world where there's death, you know, I woke up this morning and rocked by the reality that today would have been my dad's birthday. You know? So, as the emotions kind of hit, I realized once again, okay? Not that I'm, I mean, I, I, I am, hallelujah that he's in heaven, but we live in a broken world. And there's pain and there's suffering. And some cried, some mocked, some said, nah. No, that's not true. He's not who he says he is. And you all know people like that. Saying, no, he's he's not really all that. No, how did that really work? That's not the way it happened. But that's the truth that the Bible teaches us. And some, some believed. In fact, the guy hanging on the cross next to him was the greatest example of that a guy that had one short conversation with Jesus and says, you know, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? And Jesus looks at the guy and says, today, today. See, remember, it's not about just getting to heaven someday, it's about heaven happening today. And for some of you, you need to cross that line today. How will you respond to that? How will you respond? On the very first day that the church was birthed, on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter gets up in front of everyone and he preaches this powerful sermon. He says, hey, y'all just killed the king of glory, right? Ten minutes before that, they didn't think so. (laughs) Ten minutes before that, they were like, whew, we got rid of that guy, that crazy prophet guy, right? Right? But there was this weird thing that got factored in. The Holy Spirit actually just happened to pour out of heaven. And when they heard the message, that time they realized that is true. They just killed the king of heaven. They hung him on a cross. And they looked at Peter and said, what do we do now? What should we do? Right? And what does he say? Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the question today is, how are you going to respond? Will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus paid that price for you and will you embrace that? Will it, if you already have, you know, will it cause you to scream out hallelujah and then what will you do to live in the reality of your forgiveness? Some of you, you might need to go, wow, I've got this big bag of sin I'm carrying around and I've got to repent from this. I need to get rid of this. Like Peter said, repent, okay? Turn around from a life of sinfulness and head towards Christ in his direction because he's paid the price for you. The ticket's already been punched. All you got to do is turn around and follow him. And some of you need to confess because Jesus says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And some of us need to do that this morning. And some of us need to obey the one who sacrificed himself for us. And like Peter says, you need to you know, repent and you need to be baptized. And I know there's some of you that have put that off for all kinds of different reasons. But all those different reasons pale in the reality that Jesus died for you. And then Peter says, hey, just do this. Just do this. Just repent. Be baptized. Respond in some way to what Jesus has done. Don't, don't sit and absorb that and then go out and let your life, I don't know how we could let our lives be the same once we absorb the realities of what Jesus has done for us. Respond to that, respond. In, in 1963, you know we, we read about some of the other presidents and stuff earlier, in 1963, the assassin's bullet actually went, was on target and no one got in the way, and John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I read this really interesting little story about something that happened at the funeral. At the funeral, John F. Kennedy Jr., and they called him John John at the time, was standing there and could you imagine what he's going through at that moment I mean on national tv you know his father is assassinated and during the funeral he walks up to a family friend who's standing there at the funeral and this this big gentleman that's standing there and he looks up at him and he says are you a daddy And the guy looks back down at little John John and he says, well, yeah, I I am. And John John looks up at him and he says, then could you toss me in the air and catch me? Because there's one thing I know. One thing I know this morning is this. Every heart Every human heart longs for a daddy that will catch them. And this morning, Jesus is telling us that he's got you. How will you respond to that? And some of you need to stop putting off all the other reasons and all the crazy excuses for why you might not respond to him or might, why you might not reject him and why wouldn't you come to the one who gave his life for you? So in just a couple of moments, as we do each Sunday, we're going to have a time around the Lord's table. We're going to do it just a little differently this morning. In just a couple of minutes, some of our, some of our leaders, some of our elders, are going to, they're going to set up communion up here, up front. And then as our praise team comes and they, and they lead us in some time of worship, what I would ask for you is this, that this morning that you sit and you reflect upon what we've just talked about, the realities of what Jesus has done for you, that we have a king that endured the cross. And it's not just a nice piece of history. It's not just good theology. It is real, and he did it for you. And so this morning, respond to him in some way. And as you respond, come up and commune with him. Take the little piece of bread representing his broken body that he had broken for you. Take the cup representing his shed blood. And this morning, if you're here and, and, and you want to know more, you're like, okay, I, I don't know what to do with all this. Like the people on the day of Pentecost, you're like, what do I do now? If that's you this morning, if there's something tugging at your heart this morning that says you, you, you need to do something about this and you're not sure what that is. Then I'm going to be sitting right here. Some of our leaders who are going to be bring communion up, they're going to be sitting right up here in front. Would you... Talk to us because we would love to help guide you towards Jesus. And you can leave this place knowing with absolute certainty that that sacrifice of atonement has washed you clean from your sinfulness, that you can live forgiven and free And that God wants you to experience life to the fullest. That's the kind of king we serve. So don't leave without responding this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you, Father, so much. For your incredible love that you are the Father who will catch us every single time. So God, teach us. Teach us to depend on you more. Teach us to respond to you, not just on occasion, but to regularly respond to what you have done for us. And Father, my prayer is for the person here this morning that simply needs To claim Jesus as Lord, to put their faith in Jesus, and have their sins forgiven, and receive God's gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let your spirit work in this place this morning in a powerful way. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.